You're listening to episode 187 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. God, I'm sick and tired of being quarantined with you four. I'm going to be quarantined with two new friends of mine. Tom Stewart, can I be quarantined with you guys? Sure. No, Tom. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, kn- I say yeah. I noticed it was crowded in here. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. Phil, I'm not sure if that's how quarantine works. I don't think you can just bring... None of these logistics. Okay, all right. Well, I'm happy to have you guys here, so that's good. Listen, it's his religious freedom. He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a very uh, crude way of introducing (laughs) our guests (laughs) this week. (laughs) Stuart Moore and Tom Payer, both both of whom have done some work with Ahoy and lots of other comic work. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here today on the show. Thank you. Yeah, Whatever. thanks. Great to be here. Awesome. So there's a lot to talk about on this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about the you know elephant in the room, which of course is the Snyder Cut. We're going to get to that a lot later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about we're gonna of course uh interview and you know have a good a good conversation with our two friends here uh but before we get into any of that i want to let you guys at home listening know where you can find us all over the internet of course we're the comics pals uh we're not anything other than the comics pals this week i thought we would (laughs) skip uh giving ourselves an additional name this week only (laughs) uh so you can go type the comics pals into the google machine or wherever else you like to search and you'll find us Uh, If you want us on a different podcast hosting platform than the one you're listening to us on now, of course, just the Comics Pals on social media. We're the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube right now watching this, thank you very much. You can hit the subscribe button to help us out. If you want to leave us a comment, you can do that as well. Hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. Um, Share this video with your friends to let them know that we're out here and you enjoy what we do. Join our Discord server so you can get in on all the conversations that we're constantly having. We've got some interesting Discord questions coming up a little later on. And um, yeah, come talk to us about this interview that we're about to do or anything we talk about on this episode of The Comics Pals. Whew. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, <laughs> we can get into the meat of this thing. So First, uh, uh, Stuart and, and Tom, I want to ask you guys because Ahoy is one of the you know newer um, publishers that have that have come out over the last few years, and we go to conventions all the time. Unfortunately, now obviously due to the circumstances, we can't do that. But we see you guys. We see the Ahoy booth, and we you know we've had conversations, and it's always a great experience. And there's great books alongside that. So uh, I was hoping that. I could hear a little bit from you guys while you're introducing yourselves about what it's been like working at Ahoy. So, uh, Stuart, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, well, Ahoy is um, Ahoy. I, I do a bunch of different things at Ahoy. I, uh, I have two original series, uh, Captain Ginger and Bronze Age Boogie, which I co-created and write. Um, and I also handle publishing operations for them, or ops, as I like to call it. Um, which involves just sort of keeping the schedules and dealing with diamond for distribution and kind of being the hub at the center of the organizational wheel. Um, and uh, Ahoy has been, for me, just the best working experience of my life. Um, 
are uh, everyone involved is just very sort of no nonsense. We just uh, we all want to we're, we're all moving in the same direction. Everybody's really efficient. Um, and I've never felt personally, I've just never felt as trusted by any group of people I've worked with in my life. It's been really good. And our publisher, Hart Seeley, has really given us all the tools we need to make these books make these books to, just to shine them up in the corners, you know, just make them as good as they can be in every way possible from coloring to printing all the way down the line. So, um, so that's been, um, that's been great. Awesome. Tom. Well, for me, it's been a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's been a nightmare with you too, but uh... <laughs> there's a lot of painful stuff. I really don't want to talk about. I'm not ready. <laughs> No, please air it out on the podcast. It's yeah, that's good. This is exactly what we made it for. The books are just too good. <laughs> it's painful how good they are. It's an immense amount of pressure to live up to. <laughs> this, must be, this must be so hard for you to talk about. I was in a lot of pain while I read The Wrong Earth. I got to tell you. <laughs> then that, that's what we wanted. <laughs> Expect more pain. I love it. I'm here for it. Pain. <laughs> it is a great group of people, and uh, we really all do try our best. And it's been a it's been a wonderful experience. And I'm uh, my title is editor in chief, and the only reason I wanted that title was because of Perry White. And uh, but nobody calls me chief. <laughs> it's it's been a wonderful experience to sort of oversee a line and figure out matters of taste and, and uh, making it different from other comic book companies. One thing we insist on is that everything on some level has to be funny uh, because I feel, I always felt like with mainstream companies, there are so many uh, things you have to do that you have to satisfy that sometimes there's just no time left to be entertaining or there's no room left to be entertaining. You've got to be you know, you got to stick with the continuity and you have to interrupt your story for a crossover. And, and we're sort of like the anti that. We just want every issue to be and every series to be just a nice little bag of cookies on its own. You know? <laughs> That's definitely a, a vibe that I got from the books that uh, I've read from you guys. Uh, it's, it's very sort of self-contained. And I actually found myself, particularly with um, Captain Ginger and The Wrong Earth, I found myself wishing that there was more backstory and more more to, you know, sort of experience. Obviously, you guys are just getting started, but I think um, for me, the coolest experience was the questions. Like, obviously, the books were great, but the, it was the questions of like, well, what more is there? How did we get to this place? You know, especially with Captain Ginger, I felt like there was – you could probably do – a lot of prequel work in the in these series and so um it's interesting that you bring up the self-contained element because that is totally of something that i got out of it and it just left me wanting more well that's you know one thing about comics it, it, and i write novels as well but one thing about comics is you never have enough space you never have enough room to get into everything you, you need to do sure um and uh yeah we've uh we're in the middle of the second run of captain ginger now that i think that expands the universe a bit, brings in the dogs. And you're working on the second Wrong Earth now too, right, Tom? Yeah, I'm working on the second series of Wrong Earth. And in the meantime, we've got Logola, the Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man series, which does fill in a bunch of backstory about what what their lives were like before they got displaced to the Wrong Earths. 
Oh, wow. That's something I'm, I feel hungry for. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Comic Shop's June 3rd. The, yep. uh, the, the series ran over the last several months, but uh, that's the collected edition. It's beautiful, too. Uh, the, there's one story in here that was a free comic book day story that's drawn by Russ Brown. It's wonderful. And Peter Krause drew the rest of it. And you probably know how great he is. Mm. Would you mind opening that up just to give us a little bit of a look inside? Let's, see, let's find a good page here. <laughs> <laughs> just to give give the people on YouTube a sneak peek. Yeah. Lady Dragonfly Man. Oh, oh. that's a cool page. Yeah, it is. Nice. All right. Yeah, I'll go ahead and have that now, Tom. <laughs> just go ahead and pass that over. Just send that right over. <laughs> Thanks. That is our first new book since the uh, since the lockdown. So that'll mm-hmm. be, yeah, that'll be out soon. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, we're very pleased. So I I would love to hear about like what has that kind of been like for you guys in this that period of uncertainty and like you know having that gap between releases. Um, I, I imagine especially for. Um, for like a publisher like you guys who is like building the line out and everything that's gotta like really be tough to plan around right like what was that experience like well Stuart did a lot more planning than i did <laughs> i did a lot of sitting on my ass does that count <laughs> <laughs> we all did that it's just you know the the great lesson of this thing is you have to be patient because it, yeah. from the beginning we knew that we wouldn't know anything for a while mm. No one knew what next week looked like, let alone next month. So uh, there were a lot of discussions about what discussions to have. <laughs> yeah, we don't uh, we don't have um, we're we're getting ready to release an entire revised schedule and plan, um, which I don't have a hundred percent together right now. But uh, I can say that um, we uh, from the beginning we had a bunch of books um, either just starting or in progress, and uh, they got interrupted. One of them, a book by Tom uh, and Alan Robinson called Penultimate, which is wonderful. We just decided to pull and resolicit later um, because we were afraid launching a new book when half the stores were open really just wasn't a great idea. Yeah. Um, the rest, we've, we basically had four trade paperbacks scheduled for the fall. And my goal has been to keep those on schedule. So um, the books that were being serialized in the meantime will be serialized in one form or another, either in the usual manner or digital only. Um, and that's what we're putting together right now. Um, we'll have an announcement about that soon. Um, but the whole idea is to keep uh, the Edgar Allan Poe Snifter of Terror, Captain Ginger, Volume 2, uh, Billionaire Island, and Ash and Thorn trade paperbacks all coming out in the fall. Awesome. So the material will be serialized before then on what turns out to be a slightly accelerated schedule because we just lost two months, essentially. Um, but it's all working. It's it, it's all it's all coming together. Good. I'm glad to hear that. We never interrupted production. Like we always told people to keep working. So uh, so we've got and uh, we have the cushion to do that. So that's worked out well. We're very lucky in that regard. So I I understand it if this is a question that you guys can't really get into, but the fact that the both of you are sort of in positions to maybe be able to answer this is is. We haven't had the opportunity to speak to people in your position yet. How have you felt about the way that Diamond reacted to the coronavirus and sort of the choices that they've had to make throughout this process? Do you want me to take that, Tom? Do you, uh, or do you, do you have you a... My impression is they, I'm, I'm not sure they did 
anything that they didn't have to do. Would you agree with that, Stuart? I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. Um, I can't evaluate their uh, closing down of the uh, of the warehouse um, because that's a safety situation involving the specific location that I have no information about. Um, I, I, I'm certainly willing to take them at their word that they had to do it. Uh, they, um, they, they had a, they had a few glitches in informing people like the, uh, the, the rollout, the order in which, um, like stores, publishers, readers learned about it all was, could have been handled better, but you know, it all happened over the course of a day and everyone knew what was going on pretty soon. So that wasn't a big deal. Um, they have uh, furloughed a bunch of employees. So, uh, the people I'm dealing with there are extremely overworked. And I really feel for them. I'm trying to be nice to them, um, but uh, but so far it's all working. Like I haven't had a I haven't had a major glitch. There's a few things that haven't been updated on Previews World the way they should be, but you know that'll happen. It's it's not the end of the world. So um so yeah, I, on the one hand it's a it's a little bit frustrating because our brand manager, our normal liaison, just isn't there, um, and the poor woman I'm having to deal with. Um, keeps emailing me on Sunday afternoon, which is not Diamond's standard operating procedure. Um, so I can only guess how much work she has on her plate. Yeah. Um, but uh, but in general, it's 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 working. And uh, like I said, I feel for the people who are there and trying to figure out how to handle it because they are they're at the center of all of this. They are, um, and they have to make decisions. They have to make decisions pretty fast that um, that affect the entire industry. Um, so you know, we're just taking it a step at a time. Yeah, in general, I think we just have to be more patient with people and more forgiving of glitches because everyone's upset and everyone's yeah doing their best. I think. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of negative reaction, at least among the fans, to you know the fact that there aren't books out right now and stuff like that. And uh, we've we've talked at length about the diamond situation on this show. And it's been fascinating to watch because as a fan, I never thought of Diamond as a leader in the sense that, yes, they, they distribute the books, they get them out. But what is their role outside of that? And throughout this process, it's sort of seemed as though they've it's been they've been a rallying point, you know, and, and it's become clearer just how important their role is in the industry. And so. Obviously, we've seen how DC Comics has kind of, you know, decided to go their own way as far as distribution and smaller publishers have made that choice as well. Is that something that you guys have considered at all or are you sort of sticking with Diamond? At the moment, we're sticking with Diamond, except in certain cases where we're going to do digital only books through Comixology. Um, and Comixology is always part of our publishing plan anyway. Um, uh, for a combination of reasons having to do with our agreement with Diamond and also just the size of our company, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't really seem worth it to go with alternative distributors right now. Um, that could change in the future. We're definitely looking into looking into different things. I will say um, part of the part of the problem everyone's dealing with, and I hope I haven't said this on too many podcasts, but it's it just strikes me as incredibly important, is that um, what's been going on over the past few months and what makes all this so difficult is that some of the stores are open and some of them aren't. The stores that are open are desperate for new product. They want stuff to sell. They want to keep people, um, well, maybe not coming in the door. They want to be, keep people walking right up to the door um, and receiving things. Um, and if they don't have new material, it's very hard for them to do that. 
Um, the stores that are not open do not want you shipping new material right. because they don't want to lose it. They don't want to lose customers and they don't want to miss anything that they'll then have to double up or triple up and, and, and have two months or three months worth of stuff shipped to them all at once later on that their customers won't be able to afford all at once. So the needs of those two groups of stores are 180 degrees apart there. Um, and that's very difficult. That's what, um, that's what Diamond's dealing with. That's what every publisher's dealing with. It's a little easier for us because we're not, um, the, 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 um, the number of Ahoy books that ship in a given um, week, which is usually one, um, is not, uh, not going to make or break any store. Um, so, but for, um, for the major publishers and for Diamond in general, it's a real, it's a real puzzle that has to, and it's something that has to be addressed almost book by book and week by week. It's really difficult. I figured it out. <laughs> okay, good. Tell me. Camps, <laughs> right? The ones who want books to ship and the ones who don't. You pick one representative of each camp and you take them to the desert and you make them fight. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a book idea. <laughs> that will definitely be Brian Hibbs, I'll tell you. <laughs> Uh, Stuart, you said something that um, I wanted to, to circle back to there where you said that um, there are some books that you guys are now going to be just taking digital only with Comixology. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and like what what motivates that decision? Because um, something that we've also talked about a lot on this show is how um, there is like a huge difference, I think, between a lot of the readers who want to read physical and the readers who want to read digitally and that there is you know seemingly a smaller number of people who want to read digital only. So – how how do you make that decision that that's the right move for a series to make it a comicsology exclusive? Well, I can't be too specific about what we're doing that with yet, but um, sure. uh, the the factors will be um, uh, how many copies were we actually shipping through the direct market anyway? Was it enough uh, to make it worthwhile? Um, given that you're almost certainly going to be shipping fewer now. Um, and the other one is, uh, where is a series in its run? Um, if you've released a couple of issues and then you have like a three or four month hiatus, it's gonna be a little hard to pick up. Um, it's, gonna, it's just gonna be a little harder to maintain readers within the direct market. Mm. Um, so yes, uh, digital has traditionally, and I think still is a fairly small part of the market. And I have a, I have a whole, um, half hour series of theories about that that I won't go into right now. But a lot of it just has to do with devices. Um, most device, most people's devices are not large enough to comfortably read an American format comic on the page. I have a 12.9 inch iPad and I love reading comics on it. But until I got that, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it at all. Um, so uh, the one of the big questions coming out of this whole ex global experience, global experiment that we find ourselves in, um, is going to be how much of the industry moves to digital. Um, is yeah. the, the convenience and the change of habits during this time going to be enough to make people convert to a format that otherwise they haven't chosen so uh, so far? Um, and will they use guided view? Will they just squint? You know, I, I don't. I don't really know. Um, but uh, but so anything you take to digital only and any digital promotions you do during this time is a bit of an experiment. And as has been noted in the comics press, it's a dangerous one for comic shops, which operate on very thin margins right. and don't like right. the idea of losing any part of their business. 
Um, understandably, completely understandably. And uh, so far, they really haven't lost business to digital. In fact, there's some evidence that digital is sort of a feeder market that then leads people to print comics. Um, but uh, will that continue to be true? I have no idea. I cannot, I cannot see where this world is going at this point. Um, you probably can, right? You, you can probably see exactly where it's going. But I don't want to tell you. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, this has made it clear to me just how much people emotionally depend on their belief in what they think the future is. Um, and just knowing outcomes and uh, whether they really know them or not. And now that people are just stripped of that ability to, uh, you can you can see you can see it sort of fraying them. <laughs> yeah. That said, though, what has the response been like on the part of you know fans of your work? Uh, I know for me, comics have been getting me by throughout this time, uh, and I had a, a a very good experience reading both of your work. And I can definitely say that with the week I've had, uh, that was definitely one of the brighter spots. So have you guys had responses like that? Well, my, but largely the response has been cruel. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten some very nice, very nice feedback and tweets and the odd letter. And uh, uh, what can I, I'm grateful for it when somebody really enjoys it and they let us know I'm grateful for that. Yeah, you know, we got a fan tweet from Jerry Ordway the other day, which made me all excited. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to dive into just talking about the books at this point. Uh, and I, I want to start with Captain Ginger. Now, I'm going to be upfront. I don't like cats. <laughs> it's a real I'm, point of contention. Yeah, I'm a dog person. So. The teaser at the end when I saw those dogs, I was I was very <laughs> excited because I want that. This is my crew. <laughs> wait till uh, wait till you see them play poker. <laughs> I need a print. After two months here in this house, I'm not sure if I like cats anymore either. <laughs> no, they're great. <laughs> As a quick aside, how many cats do you have? I have two cats. Uh, my collaborator, June Brigman, has a lot of cats. Uh, yeah. I believe she has eight. Oh, no. I thought <laughs> I thought it, in the back matter, I thought she said ten. She had ten. Oh. Um, I think there was some sad news. But, uh, but yeah, she um, she's had more than eight in the past. At one, one point, I remember the first time I asked her about it, she said, uh, I asked, how many cats do you have? And she said, seven. And then she paused and she said, indoors. <laughs> that's the true mark of a cat person <laughs> but you know that that aside uh there was a lot to love i felt like in the book because i never thought about what it would be like if cats had to run a spaceship and you know all the things that they have to go through and it felt like there was a lot of effort put into imagining that and it's 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 very fun and funny like you guys said that's kind of a a mandate for you guys um but it it, it wasn't just that it also felt like there was a lot of work putting it put into making it make sense and using the problems that they would encounter by not necessarily understanding all of the 
you know, mechanics and, and the, and the technology of the feeders, as you guys put it, uh, and, and that being a part of the plot, I really, really enjoyed. Um, so can you speak about the inspiration of the book and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I created the book for June. I'd worked with her before and, uh, I knew, I knew not only that she loved cats, but that she could draw them with individual personalities. And uh, she has a lot of reference material around the house. Um, <laughs> but uh, she, she uh, so I, uh, so that's where that came from. Yeah, um, I, I wanted them to be, uh, as you say, I wanted them to be um, unfamiliar with the equipment, just sort of figuring it all out. But I also wanted to get into what they're like as, um, as, a, <laughs> as a society for a better, for, for want of a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, Cats are not herd animals. They're not used to following leaders. Um, they're not like dogs who you can sort of strap together and take out for a group walk and they'll all fall into place and they're happy as they're, they're, they're just, they just, they enjoy it. Cats aren't like that. And one of the things I wanted to come out as the series went along was that um, this looks like a, uh, a very familiar sort of Star Trek hierarchy, but it's actually a lot shakier than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and they're, uh, a cat's first instinct is not necessarily to follow orders. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get into all that. Uh, I would uh, like to say that I did a lot of research on this, but in fact, this is one of the easiest books I've ever written because I just know cats very, so well. And I know spaceship stories so well, that <laughs> the whole thing fell together um, really easily until I got to the dogs because I'm not as familiar with dogs. Um, and I leaned on June for that a lot. Uh, she did, um, we were actually just putting together some uh, bonus material for the uh, trade paperback. And she included some um, beautiful illustrations she'd done of different dog breeds because she's done illustration work for pet magazines and things like that. Um, so we'll have a lot of that. But she uh, she helped a lot with choosing the breeds and, the, um, and even fleshing out the personalities of the dogs. I <laughs> I have to say some of the the stuff you mentioned about the the society of cats and the way that that kind of falls apart while it was all funny it was also very compelling um yeah a, a lot of that stuff was was really interesting and it and it felt like I was looking at a a lived in world and again that's that's the coolest thing about both of these books is that they don't have the the lineage of like Spider-Man or Batman, but they very much feel like they're inviting me in and I'm and I'm happy to 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 fall into it and see what else is in store. Yeah, I think I think the thing that stuck out to me the most about about both of the these two books was that like they're they're very nuanced like there's layers of there yeah there's a you want it to be a fun book and it to be a good time and like i went into captain ginger expecting it to be um mostly a comedy you know because like it's a fun funny premise um but like when you get into some of the layers of like looking at their their society and thinking about like the the natural questions of like well what what would that hierarchy look like when they're having to you know band together and keep their species alive like that is a very serious question you know and and I, I i like that the book um you know wants me to have fun but respects you know the reader enough to also like ask some of those questions and like you know get us thinking you know and want get us to want to go on that ride and see you know where it goes and answer those questions that's great to hear i mean one one thing you can't um you can't overlook is that uh 
when you actually get a chance to do your own creator own project that you've been maybe working with and developing for a long time, you really want to put everything into it. Not that you don't, not not that you don't work hard on work for hire books and things like that, but uh, but something like this is a book like Ginger is very important to me as uh, as Wrong Earth is to you, Tom. I know. Absolutely, absolutely, and I love your book, Stuart, because you always every chapter you read, you really you go away feeling like you've read something. So oh, many comics are just like you know two licks of a lollipop, but you've really it feels like a meal every month. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And that's something that I think we're often um, not necessarily even always critical of, but a lot of times when we read a first issue, we'll walk away and say, well, that was a first issue, you know? Um, and I didn't feel that way about either of, of the two books that we're discussing right now, where as soon as I read that first issue, it's like, oh, I'm in. Like, I, I that's a good hook. I want to know. Yeah, okay, cool. Where where do these guys go? Like, what what are they going to get into? Um, where are these dynamics going? You know, and I think like that's that takes that takes effort, and it it's it's definitely working for us. It seems. <laughs> well, I think I I think I had Ginger structured sort of that. In fact, originally in the first draft of Ginger, I had the dogs showing up at the end of chapter one, and I just decided that was too uh, issue one. And I just decided that was too soon. Mm -hmm. But I think this is also um, I don't know that you and I discussed this beforehand, Tom, but I think this is part of your editorial philosophy for the line too. Is that uh, you want a book's premise to be established and uh and um clearly out there for the reader in the first issue right yeah absolutely absolutely it was uh i remember i thought of this like 20 years ago i saw this team up comic it was like two characters from two different franchises are teamed up in this mini series and i read the whole first issue and by the end of the first issue they still hadn't met <laughs> i thought this is the dumbest 250 I ever spent. <laughs> like if like I think a lot of people if they were doing say a Gilligan's Island comic book, they would end issue one with the shipwreck. But no, I would say you have got to have it by page ten because you get to see them fail to get off the island in issue one. Because it's it's a show about failing to get off the island. So and don't call me chief. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember you telling me, um, when you told me that, I remember, don't ever show him the Deadpool the Duck miniseries that I wrote for Marvel because uh, I only had them get together at the end of the first issue. <laughs> like every single one of my rules, you don't have to go far to see me break it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious about some of the inspirations uh, for Captain Ginger. You mentioned uh, as the similarities between sort of a, a Star Trek episode, but um some of the the more weirder science i think my favorite part was was definitely precious um and and the 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 large expansion and the 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 the, the more wacky uh sci-fi elements so i'm just curious as to like what you sort of drew inspiration from for for some of this um yeah i uh i grew up on all that stuff i i mean i'm a i'm a child of uh old science fiction as much as i am of comics and uh, i think a lot of it's just sort of baked in um the uh yeah the uh the super kitten that issue i don't i don't think the issues had individual issue titles but my working title for that one was kittenhood's end um which was the reference to the arthur c clark novel um so yeah there's a long tradition in um that, go, it, 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 that even extends to things like 2001 a space odyssey of just the expansion of consciousness in the next um the next evolution uh of humanity or in this case cats and we will get more into that 
if and when we do a third series. Um, it's not so much a big part of the second series, um, but uh, but yeah, there's a that all that stuff is just uh, is just it's just rattling around in my head. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like working with June for this book, uh, uh, June Brigman? Uh, in terms of you mentioned how she she helped a lot in terms of you know the dogs and things like that, but in terms of you know the collaboration, um, you know the 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 beautiful part of making comics, which is where the script gets in the artist's hands and they and they do something that you didn't expect. Uh, what was the process like uh, in terms of working with her? Well, June and I um, set up this book a few years before. Um before Ahoy started and we uh, we showed it to a few people we did a few sample pages but we didn't uh, we didn't do a lot uh, with it um, she tends to be very busy she does the comic the newspaper strip Mary Worth um, and she still does she's done some work at Marvel recently as well um, but uh, um, June unlike a lot of artists I've worked with does not like to know what's going to happen she doesn't like to read ahead she asked me to send her one script at a time she likes to be surprised um, what she did do very early on is she, uh, she established the look of the ship, especially the interiors. Um, and the fact that there are little tiny kittens running around everywhere, that was all her. Um, and she just <laughs> added that and she, you wind up with all these little scenes of like big cats stroking little cats, things like that, which I think is tremendously appealing. Um, but it did mean I had to change the backstory a little bit to make it make sense. Like, why are there all these little tiny kittens who don't talk running around? Um, and, uh, so, uh, she's, she's very much a, um, she's very much a collaborator in terms of the characters and, um, the look and the setting and everything, she pretty much leaves the story to me. Um, and I pretty much leave the art to her, but I've seen her pick up on just a stray line about an expression and give me, um, give me more than I expected mm. within a, within a panel so many times. It's just wonderful to work with her. That's awesome. I can't wait to see what she does with the dogs. So I want to, I want to shift gears and I want to talk about, uh, the wrong earth. Wrong Earth was awesome. <laughs> it was so <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I had actually bought this book uh, with Marco. We actually had gone to the Ahoy booth. I think it was, what was that? Uh, one of the cons in Philly, Marco? Yeah, uh, Keystone, like two years ago. Yeah, at Keystone. And I finally got around to reading it. You guys all know that that big pile we all have of books we want to read and we just never get to. But this interview presented the perfect opportunity and I was blown away by what was inside. Um, and hopefully you guys, all the rest of you guys on the show had the same experience. But I didn't expect the story to be so good. I knew the concept and I liked the concept. But then I got into the story and I was mesmerized and I couldn't put the book down. Uh, so I don't want to necessarily give everything away because I would love it if people you know, read for themselves and get the same experience that I did. But uh, Tom, can you talk about the inspiration behind the idea um, and just kind of how this whole thing came about? It's the inspiration. is just a lifetime of reading comics. And I started a long time ago, as you can see by the color of my hair. I was a Silver Age kid. So I saw things change quite a lot in superhero comics. Uh, particularly like 
contrast between the 60s and the 80s. Like everything before Wolverine, say, every hero was sort of a flag-waving Boy Scout, you know, uh, helping old people cross the street and really sticking up for authority and <laughs> the cops. And, uh, and after Wolverine and the Punisher and these guys, Dark Knight, uh, sort of nobody was that way anymore because people thought it was dumb. Mm. And uh, the hero was more likely to be, uh, you know, uh, stick it to the man type, ultra violent, uh, uh, just always talking about how painful it is to be the Punisher or whatever. And uh, so, but some of these heroes were the same hero. It was on both sides of this coin. So, like, if you grew up at a particular time, you'd look at a, 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 a chest insignia on a superhero, and it would mean the values it would mean to you would be something like community service and patriotism. And uh, but if you looked at the same ch chest symbol and you grew up twenty years later, it would mean bloody vengeance. But it's the same chest symbol. It's the same intellectual property. It's the same superhero. So. It was it was a pretty simple walk from there to having them uh, do a, like a double Howard the Duck where they're just both trapped in a room. <laughs> I was just gonna say I I I think um, as Sean pointed out like it it makes for this really really great um, kind of conversation I guess about like superhero comics and the legacy there and like that that you know. Um, juxtaposition of like the difference between the silver age and I guess the bronze age um, as it's sometimes called. Uh, and I, I think that like as readers who are, you know, um, experienced that, that plays really well. But I also loved how you like play it for both humor and drama because like getting, as the story progresses, right? Like seeing what um, Dragonfly is going through now and kind of the, you know, um, the Silver Age universe, right? Like he, I feel like his intentions are good, but I'm also worried about what the reality of who he is and how that can kind of poison that world. And that like juxtaposition is so, so, so well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like the uh, hero with the negative qualities feels like they they might be more influential than their counterpart who has such almost submissive positive qualities. But, uh, and, and know, I, just, I just wanted to have fun with it though. I wasn't really interested in figuring, like settling any arguments or, the surprise for me was I thought I would, I knew I would have fun writing the Silver Age guy. And I thought I was very worried that I would give the sort of uh, more modern vigilante guy short shrift because I'm not as much a fan of that stuff mm. but it turned out to be just as just as rewarding and just as fun on both ends and well I like that you um I like that you uh you made both of them a little bit ambiguous like that the um the silver age happy guy his world isn't necessarily all sweetness and light like there's some there's some political assumptions there mm. about like the sort of the 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 general the general goodness and virtue of bankers and politicians <laughs> right. that, that that we know isn't really true you know right right we uh, uh, 
but they're happy with it for now there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I really noticed that had to be a lot of fun were the uh, the character voices as well. The uh, the dichotomy between Dragonfly Man and Dragonfly. Uh, in it to me, in my head was I mean it was as simple as Adam West versus Christian Bale. Sure, yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, coming up with that dichotomy had to be really, really good. Are those people, oh, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Dragonfly Man, the Silver Age guy, will he'll he'll he'd be happy to sit on a stool and talk to you for two hours about how you should be living. Yeah, and uh, uh, Dragonfly. You'd be if you asked him what time it was. You'd be lucky to get an answer. <laughs> but the, the most the important part of this is Jamal Igel. I mean, before he came in, uh, they were uh, Watchdog and Spike. That was the heroes. <laughs> and, and, and Jamal was like, "Let's make these better." <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't mean about it. Actually, he he he, uh, he has a friend who was doing a superhero comic kind of with a dog theme, and he didn't want to step on his toes. He's a really great guy. Mm-hmm. So, and he had just been to Japan, and uh, there was learned some lore about dragonflies, and uh, so so that was his idea. He's a real co-creator right down the line. He made this so much better than it was. I really like that decision too, because like I feel like the whole like obviously there's a good amount of like bug superheroes, but I feel like especially like the for the more silver agey costume, like the the goggles and the antenna and the wings, and like it very much like plays into the like larger than life look, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does. The, the, the characters look great, and it turns out we're lucky too. It turns out that uh, in in Japan. Uh, uh, dragonflies means something like grace. They symbolize something like grace, but in mm. Eastern Europe, they symbolize like horror and violence. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> they both have both these superheroes have their own reasons for adopting the dragonfly. I I really appreciated Jamal's art. Um, I I f- it's it's interesting. I feel like I've seen stuff by him, and I know he's done work for. The big two, so I, f- I feel like I've seen it before, but um, it was so impressive here, and I I I hope that I get to see a lot more from him because he was able to really handle well both styles, I guess. Um, and once we got into Dragonfly's world, I remember there was a a, a moment where. I was just like, holy shit, this is good. This is incredible. And you don't, you know, when you've read comics for a really long time, you don't always get to have moments like that every time you open a book. And so I really relish the opportunities and I was really thankful for that here. I just want to jump in and say, I worked with Jamal for almost two years on Firestorm at DC. Um, okay. Uh, like 2005, 2007, around there. And uh, that's where I got to know him. He actually lives not too far from me. Um, but uh, he was constantly inventive there. He was he was constantly redesigning the costume, coming up with villains, things like that. And uh, he's uh, that's, he does that here, too. Like, he's, his character sketches are just wonderful when they come in. Like, he's always... And he really gets into the, the way it works on the two different worlds. So he'll think through a yeah. character and what they'd be like one place and one... Like, Deuce, for instance... 
Yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and we owe, I owe Jamal to you, Stuart. You recommended him. I think Frank recommended him, but then I sort of knew him oh. and contacted him or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just absolutely wonderful. He did the Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man covers too. And right now he's working on the first issue of the second volume of Ron Earth. So. Oh, man. Can you... Can you give us any kind of tease at all about what we might see in the second volume? I think some panels might be a little too small for what's going to be in another. <laughs> there might be two superheroes who don't see the world the same way in the same panel. Mm, all right. So we're talking, sh- we're talking shrinking heroes. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well, then the panels would be big. <laughs> oh, you got me. No, you're right. <laughs> so, what what makes a book a hoy? What makes a book primed to be published by you guys versus Boom or you know whoever else? I think it's um, the main distinction is on, they don't have to be comedies, but on some level they need to be funny. There's got to be like a real jolt of entertainment there, not just continuity or or just making sure the world's all built right and all that stuff. And uh, we, I just I think we have a high standard of art and, and production, and uh, uh, the idea. I don't. It seems like I like to think that all of our ideas are are. are for comics that you don't see in other places. Like there's not another comic like Captain Ginger that I know of. <laughs> or Bronze Age Boogie or 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 even or Runner. I think uh so I I'd like them I like them to be things you can't buy somewhere else from anywhere else. But boy, there's gotta be there's gotta be some like humor on some level. So um I, I also kind of wanted to build on that question. And what was the inspiration for wanting to, you know, get that um, the the extra back matter in the book? You know, like the stuff that's not just the, um, you know, the letters to the to the creative team, or you know, like an ad for another book or something like that. Like you guys have, you know, these great little pieces of like short fiction or prose or you know all these other things. So what was the like inspiration and motivation to make that you know a part of the Ahoy package? We were just looking over old comic books uh, for like, not f- specifically for ideas to steal, but just sort of <laughs> absorb what they meant, you know. And uh, uh, there used to be, possibly still is, a postal regulation that says if you want like cheap bulk mailing for subscribers and stuff, um, there has to be some text in there. There has to be at least one or two pages of text. So that's so. What they would do in old comic books, like Golden Age comic books, is they would uh, hire somebody as cheaply as possible to write a prose story as fast as possible. And I've seen a thousand of these things, and I've never been able to finish one of them. And so the, quite, the thinking was, what if these were good? <laughs> <laughs> the big idea really is. If you're gonna pay $3.99 for a comic book and you're done reading it in seven minutes, that, that doesn't feel good to anyone, you know? And uh, so our stories are a little more chock full than that. They would take you longer than seven minutes. But 
when you're done with the comic, there's more to read. You know, you can uh, spend time, spend more time with the thing. And I hope people appreciate that. I hope that they like it. I love, I love what we've been able to publish. We've been able to publish poetry and we've had puzzles and um, some really good short fiction, I thought, and then some really funny humor pieces. It feels so different. And I think my experience with a lot of the smaller publishers that have cropped up over the last five years is that a lot of the stuff that they do feels samey or feels like it's just image uh, in a lot of ways. There's nothing different about the packaging. And I think you guys have really not only brought unique stories, but also a unique package. The overall presentation is different and it, there's added value there. Um, I, I had a, a moment when I read uh, the first issue of Captain Ginger. When I first, when I finished the issue, I was like, boy, that was a long one. That, that must have been like, because, you know, I have the, the trade or whatever. I was like, that's, it's like, it's almost over. Oh no, that was the first issue. Like there's, there's so much more to come. And then on top of that, there's all this extra material and it feels like you spent your money well. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. I, I remember just thinking back to my own comic reading career since I was a little kid. And I remember feeling great when the packages were generous, you know, and they'd come out with hundred page super spectaculars or something. And then feeling terrible when they would get stingy. Like when Marvel would uh, run a page sideways so they, they could fill two pages, but only pay the artist for one page. <laughs> that was a low point. In the 70s, when they did this, and you could tell the artist resented it. These were awful pages. <laughs> and the ink lines were twice as thick because it's twice as big. <laughs> um, uh, or, or, you know, 17 pages for 35 cents. You just go mad. But anyway, Stuart, by the way, every Friday, gets out of bed and puts one of our uh, short story back matter pieces up on our website that, and you can read them for free. Yeah. There's about a dozen of them up there. It's yeah. comicsahoy.com. Yep. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have a link to that. Uh, if you guys want to go directly from the link or type it in yourselves, whatever you want to do. Um, but we'll make sure that that's linked too. So I guess my last question for you guys is, a broader, broader one, and you're both in the position to kind of speak to this, I think. Obviously, we're in a very strange time right now, and there's a lot of question marks about, you know, the future of the industry. And if you were to cast your mind, uh, you know, even a year ahead, uh, are you optimistic about where we're going? Are you hopeful? Uh and I guess, what do you feel needs to happen for us to be in a better place than where we're at right now, as far as the industry is concerned? Well, I guess I'd have to, you have to be optimistic. I mean, since it's a question mark and a void that we're looking at a year from now, you have to be optimistic because otherwise, what would you do? Uh, I think for, for, uh, comics to get better the larger society has to be taken care of and we need some leadership to get us out of this thing mm. and uh until that happens uh you know 
I don't think it matters what happens to baseball or comics or anything. We need to, we need society to pull itself out of this so we can function within it. Yeah, with unemployment as high as it is and uh, and growing and uh, just, uh, I mean, especially in the major cities, but other places too, like you worry about, uh, you worry about people having enough food, you know? Yeah. And that's going to be more of a problem as time goes on. And uh, yeah, I, I I tend to think, I tend to get through something like this by focusing on the tasks at hand, which are my own writing and in, in this case, um just keeping Ahoy afloat and publishing um, during this period. And uh, I think the rest of it, we're going to have to take a step at a time. I think a lot of, bluntly, I think a lot of what happens to the comics industry will depend on how many stores survive. And I really don't know how that's going to go. Um, they tend to operate on very narrow margins, but there are also people behind them who have a great love of the industry and have survived a lot of crap in the past. So I don't know. Like In a way, having a network of, brick and mortar stores that sell things on paper is already a bit anachronistic in the time we live in. Mm. Um, but uh, that's in a way, one of the strengths of comic shops. I think people love them. I think people want them around um, in the same way that I see um, no matter how expensive an area gets in New York, there always seem to be more coffee shops. And I don't know how you make <laughs> money on coffee. Like it's a, it's a $3 <laughs> item. It's a $4 item, but people seem to want them. And I think the same thing is sort of true of comics. But we're just going to have to wait and see and just sort of do the best we can a step at a time until then. I think we show our optimism because we're still working on comic books. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I got to say, I'm, I'm amazed by the resolve and the resiliency of the industry. Um, it, it feasibly could have died when I was a, a young child, the way things were looking in the 90s. So... Uh, it's it's so impressive that it's still here, and for me personally, that gives me hope that you know history will repeat itself and that it will still be here, uh, you know, going forward. Um, and in, I think, sorry, someone was about to speak. No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think that part of why I get to be optimistic or why I feel optimistic is the work you guys are doing because I, I think. Comics will survive as long as there are great creators who want to do the work and fans who want to read the work and consume the work. And the fans aren't going anywhere and you guys clearly aren't going anywhere either. So if you're listening to this right now and you want something different to read during this crisis and you just need something to take your mind off it, I highly recommend that you give the Ahoy Comics books a chance. Uh, I, I personally have uh, Wrong Earth right here. Uh, great stuff. Give it a shot. Uh, go to the website. It was uh, comicsahoy.com. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any any plugs you want to leave us with? Any you know what's your what's your Twitter, your social media? Where can we find you and you know learn more about the work? Uh, Twitter is um, uh, Ahoy Comic Mags, I think. think yeah, that's what it is. Uh, and on um, Facebook, it's Comics Ahoy, I think, right? And then on um, I think on Instagram, it's just Ahoy Comics. <laughs> We try to make it easy for you. <laughs> and I will I will call out too, uh, if you are interested in checking out either of the books we talked about today, they're both on Comixology Unlimited. So check them out. Yes, that's yeah. right. We have a uh, free comic on Comixology, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, Penultimate number zero, which is the um, the prequel to uh, the uh, the Penultimate series, 
which was supposed to launch in May and will now come out in the fall sometime. We're going to re we're going to reannounce it. But you can um, you can catch up on the initial story right away for free. Um, that originally ran in an anthology of ours called Steel Cage, but we pulled it out in preparation for the new series and uh, put it up there. Awesome. Yeah. So give that a look as well. I've, uh, there's no shortage of quality stuff from Ahoy. Like I said, you know, there's so much good comic stuff out there in general. So there's no reason for you to not support right now. If you are able, if you've got the, you know, expendable money and you want some new experiences, uh, Ahoy is the way to go. Thank you both so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a fascinating conversation. Thank you guys. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. So that was a pretty insightful interview. Uh, thanks again to both awesome creators for coming on and joining us, uh, Stuart and Tom. Um, their work is really cool. So just, you know, give it a shot if you're looking for something different. Um, we've got a lot more show to do. So we sure do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, I want to let you guys know about a poll slash versus series that Marvel is doing. Uh, if you go to Marvel's Twitter page, you will find their their poll, and it's been like pitting superhero against superhero, and the, the finals of it is Jean Grey and Thor, and I need you guys to go vote for Jean Grey. <laughs> you gotta vote for Thor, my man. Where is this? It's on Marvel's Twitter? Yeah, do not vote for Thor. That is some BS. Gotcha, There's man. no Thor, way. Thor, 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 no. Thor. No, no. How do you vote? <laughs> Somebody tell me how you vote. No one tell him. You gotta get your mail in ballot, bud. Ah shit. How do we, all right, all right. I found it. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna here. put a link to that. I would make sure you guys go ahead and vote. Uh, for that, you're gonna be able to vote on Tuesday. So the day after this drops. Make sure you're you're voting for uh, Jean Grey. Yeah, I wish you had told me last week so I could have showed up for my boy Spider Man. But Ooh. all right, <laughs> nah, Spider Man. Well, yeah, right now it's Spider Man. What do you mean right now it's Spider Man? No, Thor beat him though. Yeah. Oh, what bullshit! I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Okay, I agree with that. Spider Man should beat Thor. Um, but yeah, just a quick and PSA: can, help Jean. We can Grey. all agree Spider Man would beat Green. Uh, Green J. Green J. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not uh, a chance. So <laughs> that aside, uh, as we mentioned at the top, the Snyder Cut is coming. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to turn it over to a Discord oh. question we have related to that, coming from Matt Murphy. Oh shit. <laughs> Guys, I gotta leave now, how, actually. How many feet do you guys think are gonna be in the Snyder Cut? <laughs> so, Murphy asks, with the apparent upcoming release of the Snyder Cut, y'all gonna watch that shit? <laughs> <laughs> with the official confirmation, that was his first question, now he asks, yep. with the official confirmation of the Snyder Cut, what toxic fandom do you hope gets their wishes next so you can stop hearing about it, and why is it Liefeld getting D Deadpool 3? All right, so to answer the first question, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's not even answer it in more detail than your your yes or no, because we're going to talk about it later. 
No. 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 Yes. I mean, that's what's what's up, man. Yeah, we have to watch it for the show. Some people... I don't have to do shit. It's a free country. Some people want to watch the world burn. (laughs) Phil, you already... Well, listen. Sean said that we'll talk about it later. I'm not going to get into it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then to answer the second question, uh... I don't care who gets I w- it, it, it. Go ahead. I want to start a new campaign for a toxic fandom that doesn't exist yet, which is I want the original cut of Sonic the Hedgehog before they fix it. Oh, where God. he has the creepy <laughs> human arms and face. That's what we oh, need. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got to get that started right here, right now. All right. I don't what, know. What other toxic fandoms are there? So there's well, <laughs> let me give you toxic a whatever. Yeah, please. <laughs> there's uh, Ghostbusters. People want the 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 Paul oh, feed right. cut. Or that one's coming. Yeah, that one's coming. Wait, what? Didn't he cut the one that everyone yeah. did? Like, well, yeah, he. I mean, he like made the hours. movie, but he has like yeah. There's a th- oh. apparently a three and a half hour version that exists somewhere. Uh People want the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. Oh. No, don't care about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I probably care about that more than the Snyder cut just because he apparently had a lot of ideas that were he wasn't allowed to really utilize. And a, he says a lot of the movie that we saw was not what he wanted. Uh, we talked about this on the show that um, they actually had the people who made the ads for the movie right. come in on, in stealth and edit it behind his back. What, what the fuck? Yeah. I never so that. that's pretty screwed. Um, but yeah, those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. You know, Steven Universe has a pretty uh, shitty fandom. They got a movie, though. That's. I don't know You're pretty stuff. shitty, Kale. How about that? <laughs> I don't know that community has a shitty fandom, but they are still asking for that movie. That's true. That's a good one. No, yeah, man. Question. They they reunited for that table read. They said it's on the table. Mm-hmm. I think the we'll get question it. question is, what am I entitled to? Huh. Like, what do I deserve? <laughs> you deserve <Man>. hell. <laughs> so that means you're watching the Snyder Cut. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Kill. Uh, look. Yeah, go ahead. We'll, no, 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 never mind. It's fine. We'll save it. We'll save it. Say it, bitch. <laughs> I'll say it later, you bitch. Say it to my face. I would love to. Get over here. No, then I can don't. physically make you go watch Justice League. <laughs> uh, so why don't we answer his third question? Uh, what was the third question? Matt also asked, with the announcement of Jackpot being adapted into a solo film, what All superhero right. film adaption will be your breaking point in never wanting to see another one again? For me, it would be Superior Spider-Man. So Ugh. this this would have been a news item, but what's there to say other than there's a Jackpot movie coming? Uh, the hell is Jackpot? Just, let's also bake <laughs> in our... Jane? Exactly, <laughs> what? Marco. Wasn't she Mary Jane? No. I don't think she was, was Mary she not? Jane. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that was like a red herring. Like, oh. yeah, pretty sure. I guess I did. I guess I fell for it. That yeah. makes sense. Um, Damn, I guess I gotta go watch a movie and find out. Let, let's also bake in our thoughts about the idea of that movie existing when we're answering. Dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Really? <laughs> it, it's fine. Now, to answer, to answer Murphy's other part of the question, which is, like, what superhero property would make you feel the most burnout of seeing, like, of not wanting to see another superhero movie? My man, we're way past that. We're through the looking glass. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Damn. That was a good film. It was fine. Sure. Okay. It was extremely good. Um, we don't. I don't want to talk to these guys about it again. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't have an answer for that. There's, there's no movie that could make me not go see other movies. That's crazy. Um, uh, well, no, but I, I like this as like an exercise in what is like the worst movie adaption you can think of, and I think it's the storyline. <laughs> They, how about this? We revive the Amazing Spider-Man franchise, right? We have Andrew Garfield come back in a movie where he finds out that Norman Osborn slept with Gwen Stacy. You know? <laughs> like, that would be my breaking point. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I don't want to um, see that. <laughs> I do, okay, I do have an answer. Um, <laughs> and the worst part is it's happening. Uh, so, uh, Leviathan uh, movie. <laughs> Wait, Event Leviathan? They're making Event that? Leviathan? Yes, that... it's already it's it. Came, how long ago did that come out? Two months. It's already <laughs> happening in Supergirl. Oh no! On the TV show. Oh, really? Are you serious? Dead serious. That's horrible. Why? It's so bad. Well, well, we, we we mentioned it in the reviews. I think I think there is a kernel of 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 good ideas to that book. It just yeah. was executed that... poorly. <laughs> That surely a, a a a team of seasoned CW writers could do something with. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like they'll probably realize it better than Bendis. <laughs> hey, man! All I'm saying is they took Green Arrow, turned him into Batman, and launched an entire successful television universe out of it. That's all I'm saying. Well. Now, I, I, I've, maybe this event Leviathan adap- adaptation will get you roped in now, Sean, huh? No. <laughs> I, if, feel like, I feel like we should watch it just for the sake of comparison. That could be hilarious. <laughs> I didn't watch the crossover that they did, and I didn't watch a single episode of Batwoman. If I didn't watch Batwoman... There's not a chance in hell I'm tuning in to Event Leviathan in Supergirl. on Supergirl. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Nah, I'm all the way good on that. I I shared a video of Sean last week of a scene from Supergirl. Oh yeah, <laughs> it looked so bad. Oh, I have no idea God. what happened, but it had the Martian <laughs> Manhunter. <laughs> it was so trash. It was like Martian Manhunter versus Martian Manhunter with Supergirl, and one of them was bad, the other was good. It was just, it was crazy. You gotta shoot the it bad one. looked awful. <laughs> it looked so Shoot the bad one. I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Those shows are not, they're not for me. I'm not the, I'm not the target audience, which is why I won't be tuning in to Event Leviathan on Supergirl. Maybe they'll if like they, it. If they made those shows into a movie, would you go watch it? No. No. There you I go. I don't even understand that question. Totally. That's so like, that's okay. Answer, I see. So that's that's the that's answer. The answer to Matt's that's question. Best question. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. I see. I see what you mean. <laughs> no, that was very well played. 
<laughs> they did a theatrical release show. It's like, well, shit, I gotta go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold on, hold on. The question was, what would keep me from going to see any mo- any superhero movie again? Yeah, that's true. That, oh, again? Yeah, there's nothing that will get me to just but, stop going. But you know what? We haven't seen uh, uh, the Valiant superhero movie that came out, right? The one with Vin Diesel, Bloodshot. Deadshot. Bloodshot. Yeah, we haven't seen Bloodshot, so like we ha- oh, we aren't seeing all the superhero movies. Kale hasn't seen half of them. Well, he's a a lost cause. Yeah. I've at least seen three quarters of them. (laughs) I've enjoyed less than Are you proud of yourself for that? that? (laughs) Uh, Appreciate the the questions, Matt, as always. And if you guys want to send in questions as well, you can hit us up on social media. You can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com. And, of course, you can do what Matt did. Join our Discord and uh, hit us up with some questions over there. Um, let's jump into the Pals polls. It feels good to have this again, to be able to do these. It's it's kind of a sign for me that things are getting back to normal a little bit. And this week, Marvel is actually going to be putting out books again. Uh, so, yeah, let's jump into our polls. Uh, Pete, Phil, and Kale. All chose the Martian Manhunter trade. Nice. Yeah, well, I I'm mean, actually. That's really exciting because. Wait, what do you mean, actually, Kale? Are you not in on this? <laughs> no, no, I'm very in on it. I am upset, however, that uh, I forgot about all the DC uh, comic shop business and picked a DC book. But what do you do? Good book's a good book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we only read like the first two issues on the show. And uh, it's something I fell off of, but normally I'm a trade waiter anyway. And uh, this book, both narratively and artistically, is awesome. There's a scene where, if I remember correctly, where uh, the Martian Manhunter and his wife uh, embrace. And it's just a giant green mess, and I love it. Bone down, dog. Yeah, they did more than embrace. Embrace is one way to put it, sure. (laughs) Did the horizontal mambo, my friend. (laughs) I don't even know if horizontal's the right lay. It was it was a lot more angles than that. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited to actually uh, dive into the rest of this here. You know, that was Steve Orlando and Riley Rossmo. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I was picking it up in singles for a little bit after we fell off of it, but I eventually just you know fell off of it myself. Um, and I, I I'm looking forward to getting to look at it as a complete package. Phil also chose Bog Bodies. Yes. Uh, friend of the show, Declan Shalvey. Swamp uh, Thing? Uh, yeah, that is a Bog Body. <laughs> uh, I've known about this book for since since the end of last year, uh, and, and Declan seemed really, really excited about putting it out. So I'm really excited to read it. His last uh, book that he wrote, Savage Town, was really, really good. Uh, yeah and oh yeah i i i can't he has a really good voice on on like i feel like uh you know like working class irish uh you know neighborhoods and communities and it makes sense because he's from ireland obviously uh but that that translates super well into his into his writing obviously and so uh i'm really excited to read this so if you want to read some Irish Mafia shit, Bog Bodies. 
I want to read Irish Mafia stuff, so I'll be reading Bog Bodies too. Uh, another book that, well, I guess I've already read it, is uh, what Marco chose, which is the Postal Complete Collection. Yeah, Postal by Brian Edward Hill and Matt Hawkins and friend of the show, Isaac Goodhart. Uh, they this is really really masterful work uh, on their part i love this series uh the story of a postal service man made leader of a town uh violently and it's just it's good fun great story and go pick it up it's, it, it collects i think the first all all five volumes excluding maybe the um uh one of the crossovers that they had with some of the other pieces of the universe like think tank and the titan mm-hmm. yeah uh postal's tremendous if you haven't had the chance it's it's well worth your time uh i guess i'm the only person who chose a marvel book this week i went with marauders number 10 uh why why not sean listen it's it's like working out for two years and then you take two months off and when it's time to go back to the gym you're like i don't even know how to lift weights anymore <laughs> yeah all right fair that's what this is. Is like. that is that where you're at with like the the X stuff? A, a little bit, yeah. Just I, I was speaking about comic books coming back out in general because I just I feel like the whole routine's been disrupted. But you're right, like with the whole uh, Dawn of X, it's like what happened? Yeah, we need to see Kate Pride with a sword, boy. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not not Kate. interested, but I definitely do feel like um, the rhythm's been disrupted a little bit. You know, I lost my gains. Kate died in the last issue, and I have seen her five times since then. I don't, I don't care anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, that would have been a problem anyways. Uh, I am still into Marauders. I'm still into all the X stuff, and I'm very excited to get back into that world again. So, yeah, I'm all in. I can't wait. I feel like I was the least hot on that book, but I've missed the X-Men stuff that I am willing to read it. Yeah, man. I asked the same question like a week ago. Got a totally different answer. It's ridiculous. No, uh Not from you. Oh. From the other. No, I'm still. I'm still into it. I'm just. Uh, I, you know, I had to get back in the flow. You know. Didn't ask me. <sighs> You're right. I didn't because you weren't here. I wonder why. Because <laughs> I didn't want to answer your shitty question. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so let's jump into the news. This week we got two trailers from two different uh, Netflix movies that are ad- adaptions of comics. And uh, I think they're they're two pretty, pretty interesting choices. So first we got the trailer for The Old Guard, uh, which is a movie by Gina Price Blythewood. Uh, and uh, it's a Greg Rucka, Leandro Fernandez series. I, I remember reading it and it was cool. I think Marco, you said you read it well or read it as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really good book, action, uh, and I love Fernando's art. So Fernando's art, Landro's art. Whoops. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta I gotta reread that. But um, it's good. It's way worth your time, I think. Especially you're you're a Rucka fan, so. Yeah, that's my guy. Um, it's got an interesting cast. Charlize Theron obviously is like the main person. She's great. I guess she's so good. What has she been in that that was good? Uh, Mad, Mad Max, Max Fury Road. Road. Uh, Atomic Wand. Damn, Kale. Uh, <laughs> What's up, dude? <laughs> um, 
Name three, three more. more. Oh. Ah. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Have we gotten that formulaic, boys? <laughs> uh, Eon Flux. She's that, in that. That wasn't good. That's okay, though. The Fate of the Furious. Prometheus. The what? Oh, that's right, Prometheus. Oh. That wasn't great. No, I loved it. Okay. Well, that was, that was good. I'm going to take it because I can't remember any other. The only other Charlize Theron film I can think of is the one she just did with um, uh, Seth Rogen. Kubo and the Two Strings? No, I'm going to change my answer to that one because I like that one so much better. <laughs> oh, she was an Astro Boy. All right, I didn't ask for her she, entire and filmography. And I just given her Thank filmography, you. yeah. Like, uh, that's, that's random, that's all. So uh, the movie also has Cheatwell Ejafor. Uh, Ejafor, I think. Uh, yeah, that, that could be his name. Uh, he plays Baron Mordo in Doctor Strange. So He was the main oh, character okay. in 12 Years a Slave. All right. I think he was also a villain on Firefly. All right. He was also born in 1979. Uh, <laughs> Six degrees of <laughs> old guard, I guess. What, so, yeah, let's talk about the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought it looked pretty cool. Um, it's got, I mean, it's it's heavy, heavy action. Uh, I watched the trailer and I immediately remembered what the comic was about. Not, I mean, obviously the, the show, the movie's about what the comic was about, but like, it took me back and I was able to remember because I couldn't remember what the comic was. Um, yeah, this looks awesome. I mean, it's, it's, you know, action heavy with a twist because these characters are, you know, they, they can resurrect. They can't die until they can. That's kind of the pitch for the book. Uh, so they've been alive for a really, really long time and you never know when they're going to actually die. Um, I, I think I think it looked good. Uh, it reminded me kind of... Um, I just watched Extraction. That was a, a oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really liked that. And that felt yeah. like a small action movie. Um, it was. I mean, that was, was actually sorry. That was actually based off a graphic novel as well. Really? Yeah, uh, Ciudad by Andy Parks and that's right. Uh, that's right. The the Russo brothers. Um, and they produced it. So oh, shoot. Wait, the Russo brothers that. worked on the comic and then produced the movie. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's cool. Nice. This was this one with uh, Chris Hemsworth that just came yes. out. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. And and I guess cool. this reminded me of that just because of the the, the action heaviness of it. Um, I hope that there's more to it. I hope that there's there's you know some some kind of depth and complexity to the narrative because the only negative I really had about Extraction was how kind of straightforward it was. So hopefully this has more to it. Yeah, yeah. I, no, go ahead, Kale. You go ahead. It's funny. I, when I first started the trailer, I went, "Okay, all right, cool. It's a, it's a new, another paramilitary Netflix show. Great." Huh. And then uh-huh. they hit that twist, and I went, "Oh, okay." Yeah. <laughs> um, and other than that, the trailer hits the the beats really, really hard. Um, yeah, it looks good. I had some of the the iconography from the comic too, like with the axe and everything. Yeah. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction to it, where it's like, I'm with you, Sean, where I hope that it has more depth, but I could also see it being uh, worthwhile, even if it kind of doesn't, you know, and like uh, a well-executed 
action movie that's like high in concept in terms of like the film, but not so much necessarily characterization or whatever can still be enjoyable, you know? And I think like, especially, you know, um, right now, like something that's like digestible and just well executed is like not something that I'm necessarily against. Um, so like the idea of it just being like a solid action movie led by an actress who I like and that it has like a cool twist and that they're like, you know, uh, basically old ones and they have proficiency with all these crazy old school weapons and stuff. And like that, that just seems like a fun time, you know, especially for a movie rather than like a 10 hour or 13 hour Netflix show. That seems like a pretty easy sell for me. Yeah. Um, Extraction is probably one of the few action movies that I've seen in a long time that I enjoy. I don't actually like action movies too much because of the brain deadness of them. But uh, there was heart to that movie that I really appreciated. And if this movie at least lives up to the premise of the book, I think it'll be at least worth the price of admission, which if you have a Netflix account is your time. So how about you, Phil? You know what? I don't need anything smart from this. As long as it kind of, as long as this shit slaps, I can get into it. Because <laughs> okay. frankly, I like good shit. Marco will tell you. You like good shit. See, yeah, you know, that's all there is to it. It looks cool. Uh, I like Sharice Theron a lot, and she's been like really hitting some humdingers the last couple of years with her action films. So, like, yeah, let's get it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, not too long to wait. July 10th. It'll be out on Netflix, so definitely be checking that out. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, maybe we will do a review, since there's nothing else movie-wise that we can review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all said it looked good. Might as well, right? Let's just check it out. Uh, the other trailer we got was for The Last Days of American Crime, which is a book by Rick Remender, and... It's, it actually happens to be a book that I have not read yet, um, but I actually uh, own it. So I'm, I'm dying to pick it up, but uh, or dying to read it, rather. Just haven't gotten around to it. But it's uh, Rick Remender and Greg Tacchini. It's a crime book with a bit of a twist, and the trailer dives into that. What do you guys think of the trailer? I, I, liked, I liked how this one was shot a little bit more, actually. Um... Because it, it felt like overall a little bit more just inventive, I guess. Like, it, it still seems like a, you know, kind of like a standard heist movie kind of thing. But it looked a little bit more, um, I don't know, just like visually engaging to me. Even though I, I did think the last trailer looked solid. Um, and I like the way it was cut. Not that that necessarily is going to translate to how the film is cut. But um, this one this one looked like... Uh, a little more unique. Uh, I gotta be honest, man. I watched this trailer like ten minutes ago, and I don't remember a single thing about it. It, it did not <laughs> stick. Did not stick at all. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. The, I, I I remember the the. So I didn't know that this was like a, a separate Remender book. Um, I, I could have sworn there was like some other one that he was also in the middle of. So I confused it for for that. Um. And the it, it looked interesting, like the concept was fine. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, maybe I just I, I didn't have as 
much of an attachment as like I did for Old Guard. This was I was like, all right, this is cool. It's an action movie. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm way more excited about this one because well, first of all, you know, it's a remender joint and I'm confident in what he does. But also, you know, it's got a more crime focus and I love crime stories. Um and I I don't know, there was just something more interesting to me. So the concept uh that that they kind of showcase is that there's this device that allows you to sort of freeze almost people like like screw with their heads um and that's how they've been dealing with crime uh by they i mean law enforcement and so these criminals are going to do this last big heist and they're gonna you know try to get away with whatever 30 million dollars or whatever it was um and i'm i'm into that Uh, that's that's good enough for me I believe the I believe the the line from the trailer was we're gonna steal thirty million dollars from the government. To which I said, "That's a low amount to steal." From <laughs> <laughs> the government's like, "All right, we'll just print more money, I guess." Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll just give that to you. It's fine. <laughs> we'll let you get away. <laughs> thirty mil—that's nothing. Yeah. Um, well. I, I think I think that there there will be merit to this. I I feel like uh, Remender doesn't sign off on a lot of things that uh, he's not he doesn't feel good about. Um, Deadly Class didn't really find the audience that they would have liked, but it was good and it has a cult following. So hopefully this you know is able to generate buzz. It's actually coming out on June fifth, so uh, <laughs> not long to wait at all for this. Uh, so shifting gears. We got to talk about the CW again. As oh, damn. Hell yeah. Hell the yeah. The Berlantiverse. The Kale War. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I thought this was my, I thought this nope. was my moment. Nope. You're no done. <laughs> no. And as it turns out, uh, Ruby Rose's moment has ended as well uh, because she has left Batwoman after just one season. So, there's two sides to this story. There's the publicity side, right? And then there's the underside, the reality. So let's talk about the publicity side first. So, uh, Ruby Rose put out a statement and she said the following. I have made the very difficult decision not to return to Batwoman next season. This was not a decision I made lightly, as I have the utmost respect for the cast, crew, and everyone involved with the show in both Vancouver and in L.A. I am beyond appreciative to Greg Berlanti, Sarah Schnechter, and Caroline Grease for not giving me this incredible, for not only giving me this incredible opportunity, but for welcoming me into the DC universe they have so beautifully created. And so there's just a lot more thank yous and things like that. Um, so yeah, after one season, her time as Batwoman is over. Well, she had a good run, I guess, probably. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) Uh, does this surprise you? Uh, Yeah. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, obviously we're all removed from, you know, the... Berlanti superhero stuff that's going on over on the CW, but I think like the idea that 
this show came to fruition, she was attached, and that she's leaving after one season is definitely surprising, you know? Um, that's not been the case for any of their other shows. Um, and, you know, that's generally not the case for, you know, like, any any actor who signs on for a TV show, like, hopes that it gets renewed and that they can keep working on it for the most part, right? Um, because it's steady work. Uh okay. And especially for the lead role like that. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, like, not to say that Ruby Rose is like a nobody, but like the only really, the thing that kind of put her on the map was her role in Orange is the New Black, which is over. And then this was like a thing where it was like, oh, like, cool. This is kind of a step for her, you know, um, leading a TV show like this. So I, I to Sean's <laughs> earlier allusion, I'm sure that there's more to the story. <laughs> Well, and and the other thing that's surprising about it too is I think that Batwoman was going to be positioned to sort of lead the 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 sort of driving narrative for uh, the 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 CW verse, the Arrowverse, as it's as it's known. Um, and so I th- I think that you know that is also really interesting. Yeah. Um, it sucks because they really put a lot into, you know, the announcement of her and, 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 you know, this, there was this big hype train behind it and for her to be gone after only one season, I'm sure is not what the CW wanted. Yeah. But it's not necessarily what she wanted either because it wasn't her choice. So Mm. here's the story. Okay. Now I'm surprised, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have my attention. Weirdly enough, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, this is coming from sources, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do with that. It wasn't 100% her decision. It was a breakup. She wasn't happy working on the show. And did that make her fun to work with? No. So everyone decided it would be in the best interest of the show and for all concerned if they parted ways. It just wasn't a good fit. So the thing to understand about Ruby Rose is that she is not traditionally a I'm going to be on a television show for a really long time type of actor. Her time on Orange is the New Black was relatively short. She wasn't like, you know, on it for that long. And then she's done movies and, and, and stuff like that. This was the first time where she was responsible for being the main character on a television show like what they do on the CW where it's running for, you know, however many. I think the CW shows are, what, 22 episodes a season, something like that. Something like that, yeah. 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 And for 10 years. (laughs) And she was shooting in uh, Vancouver, which is not where she's from, and... For those of you who are unfamiliar, when you're shooting television, those days are long and it's every day and it's 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 tough. It's not like film where you come in for your shot and then, you know, you're in your trailer for the next however long. She's the main character. She's probably in every other scene at least. That's a heavy workload. And apparently she just didn't really like it and didn't take well to it. So, unfortunately, what that means for people who like the show is that she's not on it anymore. And I'm sure that she was very difficult to work with as a result of just being unhappy. Damn. 
that sucks. I, I, I had heard it was something related to her injury um, or like because she had fallen or something. Uh, I'd heard that it wasn't related to that. Yeah, I heard it wasn't oh, okay. as well. Okay. Um, sure, that yeah, didn't I mean, help that, the situation though, right? Like if you're already in, in a bad mood or and not enjoying it and feeling like, you know. Yeah, and then you bust your ass. Like that's not that's not cool. I mean, that that sucks. Like I, I guess to like to, to a certain extent, you just have to have sympathy for that. For, for that you know you you if it's not someplace that you want to be working at then i guess she has all the right to leave um and especially if it makes it harder for other people as well um i mean it, it sucks because and i i don't know if you're going to touch on this sean but like i don't know what the the aftermath from a show perspective like the character is just going to change mid-season or not mid-season but yeah uh, like mid run uh, how do you yeah mid run like how do you narratively fix that or adjust that if at all you don't you know like you probably just put someone else under under the mask and move on and hope everybody accepts it you know like it's not it's not unheard of you know like films and 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 shows recast it's just the fact that they're recasting the main character is obviously disruptive you know like um uh, uh, fucking what's his name? Rhodey like was a different actor in the first Iron Man, right? And it's like mm. you switch, and we had Ed Norton as the Hulk, and then the Hulk was somebody else. You know, it's like you people either like accept it and stick with the show because they like the show, or I'm sure there will be some number of people who are like diehard fans of hers or whatever who are like I'm done, you know, and that'll be what it is. But I, I think unless her performance and her portrayal was so pivotal to the show's success it'll probably continue as business as usual i don't know pete i'm out on season two <laughs> Damn, was this, was this we the all know you were factor? their biggest supporter what was that marco was this the deciding factor phil who's to say oh. who's to say <laughs> wow wow well i actually told him that he can't watch the the second season now so yeah, well, Why? there you go. There's a lot of reasons, you know. I just I'm out. <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of reasons, Sean. <laughs> a lot of reasons. We're not at Kale, liberty to I, you know, them. first of all, he just told me he didn't like it. Thank wow. you, my attorney. Kale, how does how does this affect the Kale Ward universe? Um, <laughs> can can you can you sort of lay down the ramifications here? Uh, well, I gotta say, I'm really hoping that I, my, for my money, my hope is on Stephanie Beatrice, uh, feel it, filling the role. Other than that, like I, man, there's no telling. I personally, I would, I would rather see that role filled, uh, by, uh, Renee Montoya. Turn, fuck it. Turn Batwoman into the question and then put Stephanie Beatrice as uh Renee Montoya. Killing me. <laughs> and then we've got it. Then we've got it. Then we have a show. Yeah, the Kel Ward universe obviously very popular. <laughs> very popular. Yeah. Especially overseas. I got that overseas demographic. The overseas preteens, you know. That's That's right. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond to that. So uh, I won't. Instead, we're going to talk about uh, something entirely different. Something that a friend of ours is doing that's really cool and exciting. So uh, you guys might remember, you listeners might remember when we were reviewing Fearscape. 
which was a book by Ryan O'Sullivan and Andrea Moody. Uh, we reviewed every single issue of that, and uh, we pretty much enjoyed it, except for Phil. Um, True. And he remembers. Ryan O'Sullivan remembers. Yeah. He'll cool. never forgive you. Damn. <laughs> that was an interesting interaction. Sorry. Uh, uh, it was interesting for me being near him in person and him going, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big guy. He's tall. Yeah, he is. Sorry, Ryan. Lanky, though. Yeah. He's not really not really muscly. Right, so I wasn't too... I wasn't afraid. I just, mm-hmm. you know. So... We're getting a sequel. Kind of. Not according to Henry Henry. According to us, <laughs> it's a sequel. According to Henry Henry, it's definitely not. So this is called A Dark Interlude. So it's not It's not even like Fearscape, A Dark Interlude. It's just A Dark Interlude. Um, and it's coming in November. Hopefully, we're able to stick to that time frame. But uh, instead of having words from Ryan O'Sullivan, I have words from Henry Henry to read about what this is going to be. Dear reader, kindly ignore my publisher and whichever clickbait, data-selling, privacy-ignoring, entertainment news website they have elected to run this advertisement on. A Dark Interlude is not a sequel to Fearscape. I would never dream of contributing to society's pounced gut of never-ending stories. Originality died the day the child reader cried more and the parent author obeyed. While it may be true that a dark interlude begins where Fearscape ends, that all of the characters from Fearscape reappear, that the Fearscape itself also reappears, still as a metaphysical realm beyond our own, where that which we fear must take most takes physical form, to take these coincidental continuances as indicative of the work as sequel is to misunderstand the primary function of all literature. I speak, as well you know, of the anxiety of influence. Our inspiration comes not from the gods, but from our fellow man. How often do we imagine a story of our own creation, seemingly from the ether, only to discover it already exists in a book penned by another? Perhaps a book we own, perhaps even one we've previously read. Humanity is a coral reef, largely sharing the same thoughts. So to the franchise fetishists, I ask, is all literature a sequel to Dante, to Tolstoy, to Shakespeare? Of course not. The sheer concept is lunacy, and yet the thought is appealing. The entirety of human literature as one long, single narrative. I wonder, how would such a story end, and who would dare try to write it? Henry Henry, ever verbose. Uh, Yeah, there's some art alongside it, too, which also looks really good. It does. Um, I'm really excited for this. I I really enjoyed uh, Fearscape, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of um, stones left unturned by the original story, and I don't think it needed a sequel. But I think um, I think what was set up there is rich enough that there I can I can imagine a lot of places where this could go. You know that are I think places probably worth exploring. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, same. Uh, the the first book was was great uh i mean especially from like a format and like form perspective too he did a lot that was uh, i think we mentioned it was it last week we were oh no no sorry never mind something else um we 
it, the, the art, I think in particular, we had called out as being especially striking. There was a lot there that um, was playful, but at the same time, really poignant and uh, dark. So this is this is cool. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I I really really enjoyed Fearscape. One of the things that's so cool about Ryan is he's clearly got a lot on his mind, and he's utilizing the opportunity that creator own work provides you to showcase that. Uh, and we saw it here. We saw it in um, what's the book he did with uh, Plaid? Oh, Void Trip. Void Trip. Yeah, we saw it in Void Trip. He's there's a lot cooking and I'm excited to dive back into this world, see what else he has to say through Henry Henry. I thought those characters were awesome. It was a really interesting premise. So I I'm all in November. Can't come fast enough. Phil. Yep. Oh yeah, man. Uh, real excited. Uh, <laughs> definitely looking forward to uh, saying things that hurt Ryan's feelings. That's going to be great. Love. Just good. Just really great. Let's leave it at that. Good. We're all excited. Beautiful. Hotly anticipated title. Good. <laughs> you know what else is hotly anticipated? What's that, Sean? This transition. The this Snyder trans- Cut. Oh, God. I'm off. I'm done with the episode. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. The Snyder Cut. Oh. It's real. Great. I'm so excited. And we're going to talk about it. I am all smiles. Not because I've been campaigning for the last three years or whatever (laughs) to get the Snyder Cut. Not because I've been knocking down the doors of WB executives trying to force them to spend money and time to make the Snyder Cut. But because I think... That getting to see Zack Snyder's vision come to life fully, it's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting. And yes, I will be watching it. There's a story here that we're going to get into. There's a lot to talk about. But before we get into that, I want to say that during a Man of Steel watch along that Zack Snyder hosted, he was on uh, Vero, which is the platform that he always uses with his fan base, uh, and they were watching it. It was him, Henry Cavill, and a bunch of, you know, fans. And at the end, one of the fans asked Zach, you know, like, are we ever going to get the Snyder Cut? He was like, well, you know, I don't really know if we'll ever get it, like the way you think of it, but I do have this. And he showed them this image from his computer that, you know, is the image that a lot of people are seeing now, which is the, you know, Snyder Cut HBO Max. Uh, So the Snyder Cut is coming to HBO Max in 2021, but that's about all we actually know as far as concrete details. So it's been discussed that it could be a full-length film or it could be something that's split up into like four or six parts. They don't know exactly how they want to put it out yet, um, but that's the, the basics of it. And everybody from the main cast, with the exception of uh, Gal Gadot and Gal Gadot, and um, who plays the Flash? Oh, um, Ezra, Ezra Miller. Miller. Ezra Miller. Right. Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. <laughs> yep. That's her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
everyone except them has commented, at least as far as I've seen, with excitement about the fact that this is coming out. Before, sure. go ahead. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Before we get into <laughs> anything else, uh, what do you guys? What do you guys think about the fact that it's happening? I mean. Woo! <laughs> all right, Marco, let's go, man. We've been on the same page all episode, dude. Right, artistic, die. artistic, uh, artistic freedom. Yeah, that's what this is. They're releasing what should have been an art piece. Oh my god, I hate this. <laughs> Facts, Marco. Uh, it's one of those things where it's just like. I never thought it would happen. So the fact that it does, it's like my immediate thought was just for the show. You know, like I immediately, the first thing I tweeted was just like, fuck, Sean's going to make me watch this crap now. So, all right. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch it because I want to watch it and have an opinion and argue with you guys about it. Like, of course, like that's what, that's what we do. So, you know, um, do I want to see this movie? No. Am I excited for the content that we're going to get out of it? Yeah, it'll be fine. I already talked to Phil about it. Like, you know, we're, I want to do well, I want to recreate the experience Phil and I had watching the original, original cut, which was what Pete, which what, was getting what, what was that drunk, getting really drunk before we watched it <laughs> and just sitting through the entire thing. Either every time something dumb happened, we were just like, and laughed at it when it was you know, something that was out of or um yeah, out of context good, like when Superman did Superman shit, we were drunk enough to be like, cool. So I feel like that's the way to go in, you know? <laughs> Do the best yeah. we can. Uh the only way to watch a bad movie that isn't fun is to be fucked up during it. <laughs> <laughs> um that said, see, listen, I'm the type of person in life. Who wants to move forward? And this feels like I'm stuck five years ago somehow. And, like, I don't even remember how I feel about these things. Because, like, they're over. It's done. Move on. Why is this happening? This is what the people wanted. That's oh, right. Well, that's right. My, my populist friend. <laughs> <laughs> Marco, let me ask: What is the acceptable loss threshold for the Snyder Cut? <laughs> uh, near, near uh, apparently zero two out of five pals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, da 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 da. Come on, Kale. you you're telling me you won't watch it for the review, Kale? I I don't want but to, you, but you will do it. Mm. Okay, we're getting them. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> yeah, there's no excuse. It's on demand now. Hang on, let me check. Let me check my calendar. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be sick. Do you guys think like Dark Side spread COVID through Steppenwolf, <laughs> so that we, so that we had to watch this shitty movie or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> Um, Dark side is, is right. Whoa! <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, no! We Dark side is COVID. Apocalypse. That shit spreads like COVID. That's what the anti anti life equation is. COVID nineteen. Oh. <laughs> wasn't that what uh, Justice League was about? Was like 
terraforming the Earth into like a new apocalypse or something, I, it all makes sense. All right. There you go. Jesus, the fact that you remember that is more than I can remember <laughs> from that film. But but let's 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 really dig in. Well, actually, before we dig in, Kale, um, you didn't really get to speak your piece, man. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm glad you guys are happy. Let's. We don't have to. It's fine. <laughs> I, as much as I possibly can, I will have nothing to do with this. <laughs> if by the least you possibly can, you mean watch it and then talk about Listen, it. Listen, I've seen several Zack Snyder films. I'm good. I agree. I don't. I don't need to know what he need. What he wanted to do. I. I, I read Jeff Johns' New Fifty Two. Justice League, I get it. I'm fine. I'm, you know what? I'm fine. I'm glad you guys are happy. Let me live my life. Yeah. No. No. I can't do that. I don't need him to misinterpret Superman shit with his weird Ayn Rand objectivist bullshit. It's, you know, I'm good. Cool. So. <laughs> there's a- Ayn Rand objectivist bullshit. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. Uh, and I want to tell you guys first who you can thank or what you can thank, rather, for the fact that this is happening. And it's not the fans. I won't be thanking them. It's the Mandalorian. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, it's, it's, it's story time with Sean. Here we go. Strap in, boys. All right. So, the Snyder Cut, first of all, isn't real. In the sense that there is no version that was ever shot of Justice League that represents what Zack Snyder actually intended for us to see. Originally, it was supposed to be two movies. Hopefully, you guys remember that. It was supposed to be two films. And... There is no version of this movie that was ever shot that is two movies because they changed the script after Batman vs. Superman came out and people hated it so that it could basically be a truncated version of the two movies in, in one. And a lot of stuff was left on the cutting room floor as a result that was just never shot. So what this will be is the footage that was shot, which he says, Zach says, represents about, I think he said four to six hours of additional content um, that we never saw. But of course, it's unfinished. It's not mixed. You know, there's missing CG, stuff like that. So that's what they're going to work from. So I want to temper expectations on that level. Oh, so it's not even so it's not even real. This thing everybody's fighting for. No, like, it never was. It's real-ish. It's real-ish. Thanks for tempering our expectations. They were so high. You're not who I'm talking to, Phil. No, no, it it. So, Sean, my expectations were here. Now they're up here because this. The, no, no. See, see, what what this movie represents now in light of this, right? outside of the fact that you know he wanted to be two movies and three rights whatever that makes sense taking that context this and and the the fact that it's gonna be four to six hours of potentially additional content i i'm giddy awesome giddy 
So the other thing that I wanted to say as a as a you know a precursor is there's not going to be reshooting. They're not going to have access to the actors to reshoot. At most, they can use their voices, but what is that? Um, they're not going to be able to to get together and reshoot. Warner Brothers gave Zach and Deborah Snyder twenty million dollars to make this thing, and that's what they're going to do. <laughs> Henry Cavill's like, I I really don't want to do reshoots again. <laughs> Which leads me to my question: Will he have a mustache in this movie? Of course. Okay. No. They're going to make an entirely CG Henry Cavill <laughs> with $20 million, and that's a problem. So, like, I love the idea that it would, like, can you imagine if it's, like, 50% is from this archival six hours of footage that they have, and then the rest of it is just, like, a low-budget, you know, animated thing to, like, cover the spots <laughs> that he didn't get to do. Like, it's, like, dark side, like, but he looks like he's made on, like, a PlayStation 2, you know? Oh, that yeah. is Justice Super- League, then. <laughs> Superman's gonna look like fucking Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> so the original cut that he showed studios was four hours, and they didn't like it, and so he had to do a lot to get it, you know, down. I guess. Um, and then obviously we know his daughter died by suicide, and. He was he left the project and Joss Whedon came on board and we got what we got. All that said, I want to take it to the Mandalorian. There was never going to be a Snyder cut. They were never going to put it out. It costs a lot of money to put a movie out on the big screen, especially all the additional material. It's never going to happen. The Mandalorian comes out and. Overnight, Disney Plus is in every house. Like, not every house, but tons of people, right, went ahead and got it because of this show that proved that there's an audience out there for premium storytelling. We know that from Netflix, but I think with Netflix is its own thing. Disney Plus is owned and put together by Disney themselves. This is a way for them to get additional content out to fans and make money over time when they're not putting out any movies. And it's a lot cheaper to do this. That's when talk about the Snyder Cut started to become real. Because HBO Max needs content. And it's not going to be enough to just have the Fresh Prince or Friends or Batman They're going to need something exclusive and new. And what better way? (laughs) Go ahead, Kale. So they went with the Snyder Cut. (laughs) What better way than by remastering a very old movie that that very few people liked? Is it old? They needed something (laughs) exclusive and new. So they went with something they already put out. So, well, let let me interrupt myself. To bring what Snyder has had to say, what he, the Hollywood Reporter did a whole story about this, and he said it will be an entirely new thing, and especially talking to those who have seen the released movie, a new experience apart from that movie. You probably saw one fourth of what I did. I always thought it was a thing that in twenty years maybe somebody would do a documentary, and I could lend them the footage, little snippets of a cut no one has ever seen. His wife went on to say. 
with the new platform and streaming services, you can have something like this. You can't release something like this theatrically, but you could with a streaming service. It's an opportunity that wasn't there two years ago, to be honest. The thing is that nobody at Warner actually wanted this to happen, ever. Not even right now. The reason this is happening is because of AT&T. Because AT&T needs content for HBO Max. AT&T can't afford to get HBO Max out there with nothing special. They need their Mandalorian. So the bosses at Warner Brothers have every reason not to put the, the Snyder Cut out. Because think about this. Let's say the Snyder Cut does great. Makes them look bad. Because they're the ones who said, you can't put your version out. We're going to put out this truncated version. So if the Snyder Cut does well, then it's like, well, you made the wrong choice. Why would you have ever said no to this? So that's why we're getting this now. Obviously, there's been a lot of fan campaigning and people seem to really want it. The Let's, let's say the vocal minority. Fine. They seem to really want it, but that's not why this is getting made. Sean, Don't be we're, fooled. Uh, we're both vocal and minorities. <laughs> well, you and I. Well, I'm a vocal minority. You're just you're just a minority. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad none of the white people said that. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. I will say the vocal minorities, like when you said it that way, it kind of sounds like a band name. And I'm like, it's it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah. Mark, you want to start a band? Hell yeah. I'd be like a good name for a punk band. <laughs> it'll, it'll be you and Pete. To be fair, so would the Snyder Cut. That sounds like a good name too. <laughs> it's a circumcision, man. So I say all that to say that this release is not some like – celebration on the part of Warner Brothers about what Snyder did. This is not that at all. They don't want it. It's bad for Warner executives to have this happen. Um, Yeah. Does that add anything for you guys? Does that context add anything to the story? I mean, it's interesting, but like, I, I, I think, I think it's just like, it makes me more annoyed like to see all the comments from like the the really toxic Snyder Cut people who were like, "We did it, we won," and it's like you didn't do anything, man. It's like it's all about money, you know. It's not this wasn't like an answer to your cries. It's that some suit decided that this was a great way to sell HBO Max. So like, but for those people like who are genuinely excited for it, like I hope I hope you like it. You know, I hope it's what you want. But I also feel like it's going to be an excuse, to your point, John, for a lot of people to just, like, start more arguments, you know? Because it'll come out, and a lot of people will hate watch it and be like, it still sucks. And then those people will be like, no, it doesn't. And then we'll just keep arguing about it. And at the end of the day, I just don't want to talk about it anymore, you know? I'm over it. Uh, I, like, But this this probably adds more gasoline to the fire than it does, like sand you know because i don't think this ends the conversation it just gives us new ways to talk about it for another two years or whatever the fuck it's gonna be before it's over shut up Pete. get hyped this shit's gonna be epic all right bro this is gonna 
Oh, I'm gonna get so yoked watching this. This shit's gonna be fire. <laughs> the problem is that <laughs> f- fanboy Marvel fans like me only want positive movies, and that's the problem. We can't take realistic dark superhero movies, and that's yeah, dude. That's... You're you're just a man child. Yep, <laughs> it's true. You heard it here first. Pizza man child. He ain't a sick gains bro like me. All right. Um, as Pete pointed out, there very much are two camps as it relates to this movie. There's the camp of people who liked it and or I shouldn't say liked it, who didn't like it. No one liked it. That's the, the, and that's the craziest thing about Justice League. <laughs> Nobody likes that movie. There's either the camp, camp. of pe- Sorry. No, either camp. Yeah, they don't like it. It's you either want to see Zack Snyder's version of it because you love Zack Snyder and you love what he's done and you think that he got played by Warner uh, and you hate Joss Whedon and all that other stuff and you're being toxic, right, towards people on the internet and you're kind of using it as an excuse, as a scapegoat for a, a reason to be a shithead. Or you also didn't like it but you respect the fact that Zack Snyder was trying to do something, whether or not that personally spoke to you, and you kind of want to see his vision come to light out of curiosity. I fall into that second camp. Uh, I mean, I like Batman, Superman, and I like Man of Steel, but Justice League sucked, and I'm not convinced that what Zack Snyder wanted to do, or at least what we will get out of this, is going to be much better than Justice League. Yeah, that's the same. You thing. don't. You don't think it'll be good? No. Hell no. <laughs> I'm not. I just I, don't believe. <laughs> I love. I, you're right. <laughs> I love. I love that Sean. Like, <laughs> it's my favorite thing about doing this show with you. You're such a wild card with shit like this sometimes because it's so funny that like you came into this with the energy of like it's a victory lap because I've been campaigning for this but I don't even think it'll be good I just want to see the ways in which it will suck <laughs> that's yeah, just I, I love that <laughs> I feel like no Sean what the fuck we're gonna start a band <laughs> dude the silent but no nah, you can just start <laughs> a shitty band break up <laughs> that's why we minorities can't like get together and really work towards progress because we can't agree on shit <laughs> Damn. it always falls apart um, I feel like this conversation is revolving around my opinions um, but they're the most interesting I think <laughs> that's why <laughs> Well, Marco said something earlier. I don't know if he was joking or not, but I, 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 it resonated with me anyways, which was about the artistic expression and freedom, right? And obviously, Warner has the right to say, you can't make what you want to make. We're going to tell you what to make. But I feel like whenever we've talked about that as it relates to a Marvel movie, it's always like, screw Marvel for doing that. That's not right. Um, Edgar Wright deserved his opportunity to make his Ant-Man movie, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to Justice League, it's never like that. And so I feel like there's a lot of people who, for whom 
the idea of, you know, uh, artistic freedom only goes so far as a creator that they like. Well, I think, I think it's not, um, at least personally anyway, right? I, I think the, the examples that, that you can give, I'm totally biased because I like Edgar Wright as a filmmaker, you know? So I want to see his vision because I think it will be good. And I, I personally like think, and I've made the joke before, but I, I, I genuinely am not a fan of, of Zack Snyder. Like take name calling all that shit out of it. I don't think he's a good filmmaker and I've seen, I don't know what, five or six movies by the guy. And I, I, none of them are, are movies that I really would say that I like. You know, they might have elements that are good, and, like, I don't think that the guy's without merit, you know? I don't think that, um, uh, I, I don't think that he has, is talentless, but I think he's a lot like, um, I think he's in a very similar camp in my mind to J.J. Abrams, where, like, I, I don't really think he's, uh, I, I don't think that he has, a, a body of work that is commiserate with the amount of opportunities that he's gotten. And I guess that's where I come down on it. Right. Where like, I, it's not that I think that his vision, uh, like was so bad that it didn't deserve to exist or something like that. And I want it censored. It's just, I have no interest in seeing it because like, I didn't like the other two movies he did in that universe. I think they were right to take the reins away from him because it wasn't, I don't think it was working. You know, um, I don't think that what they did, to fix it was the right call either because they pulled him off mid-project and we got a Frankenstein of a movie that isn't good anyway. So who cares? Um, but I think that's where a lot of people are coming from in that argument, you know, is that it's just like there's a lot of people who just don't like Zack Snyder and don't want to see more from him. That's in, exactly at least what in I this said. Camp. Th th that but go ahead. Sorry. That – the, there's two there's so there's two different conversations there there's do i like this creator and do i support this creator's right to have whatever vision they wanted to put out whether i like it or not to be seen by the masses to be published to be put out and the same credit about artistic freedom is not given to everybody in this case because Zack Snyder is not a creator who people like as much, they're not willing to say the same things they would say about Joss Whedon's Avengers Age of Ultron or Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, even though we're simply talking about different creators whose uh, ideas and, and, and visions were stifled by big corporations. Same yeah, thing. I'm, I'm completely comfortable living in this double standard. Zack Snyder, J.J. Abrams, <laughs> they suck shit. I have no interest in their movies. Uh... Edgar Wright, he's good. I'd rather see what he would do. I have no no issue occupying this t this land of double standard. As long here. as you're comfortable being a hypocrite, I accept that response. Well, I took the hypocritic oath, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. All all joking aside, like I I don't have strong feelings about this. I, I mean, I I do like the fact that it is going to come out and and that he is going to be able to put to put that out in the world, whether or not I I like him as a director or not. Um, and I feel like I've made known that I I typically don't care as long as the product is either good or deserves to be put out, which I think all art typically does, um, be it movies or comics. And 
I mean, the, the, this is this is fine to everybody who who says. I, I think what I'm more interested in is to to Pete's earlier point on uh, what the people are going to be saying after it comes out, and it potentially isn't as good as somebody might have hoped it would be. And then we're going to have two other camps being the people who are like, well, I told you so. And the people going, well, did you not see it? It was a masterpiece now that it's like this, whatever this is. Um, and uh, ultimately, whatever. Put it out. I don't give a shit. Don't put it out. I don't give a shit. Um, actually, <laughs> I would give a little more True. shit. But... True. <laughs> but um, I, I would care a little more if they, they were like straight up no, even though they had the means. Um, like, like if they were to shut him down now, I'd be like, "That's that's fucked up." But um, as it stands, put it out. I'll watch it. Yeah, I think the I think it's interesting that dichotomy that you're pointing out, Sean, because Edgar Wright's Ant Man, to my knowledge, never nothing ever came of it. Yeah, like nothing was shot. I guess it might have been written. I think it was written. It was yeah, written, yeah. and it was not shot because Marvel wanted him to do things he didn't want to do. Right. Uh, and he left by his own accord. Like, you know, he wanted to make the movie he wanted to make. Um, uh, where was I going to go with that? Fuck. Um, I guess. I guess it's the fact that I, I think I agree with that last part Marco made. Up to this point, we we've never had uh, a, a a point in time where it's been like, no, this is real. We're gonna put it out. This is it. Whereas any other time, it would have been ah, that's lost in the director's cut of the on the back of a Blu-ray DVD in a dumpster somewhere uh, where it belongs. Well, frankly. We all strive to uh, be, but. <laughs> but like i you know i think i think the the difference being here and now there is a product to be put out whereas with edgar wright's ant-man it's just like oh well yeah they should have let him do it do what he wants but he left so there was nothing yeah, it's almost like it, it, it's uh, it's more in the line of like that. <clears throat> oh, what if that Nick Cage Superman movie that was written by Kevin Smith got made? You know, rather than like this, which is a thing that there is actually a physical like some of it is exists, right? Like this is something you could pull together with twenty million dollars, not a movie you'd have to make from the ground up. Which I think strengthens the point that Sean's making, where it is a little bit more like this project got shut down in the middle of it. You know rather than it just never materialized. Yeah, like, don't misunderstand what I said. The fact that the fact that the, the Snyder cut doesn't exist the way people think it does doesn't mean that there wasn't countless hours of footage that was shot that wasn't allowed to be used, a script that was forced to be changed, a whole plot or a whole um, directive that was changed. And even though you guys are making the argument about what you said about Edgar Wright, that's not the narrative that of, of Marvel in the early 2010s. The narrative of Marvel in the early 2010s is that they didn't let creators make the movies they wanted to make. They were creator unfriendly. And that's a fact. Thor 2 
uh, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, uh, Ant Man, um, Iron Man Two. Like, there's plenty of examples of of exactly that same yeah. thing that people have pointed out time and again. Them having falling outs with either directors or you know actors, whoever talent. Yeah, right for sure. And I mean, like, obviously, I think that that perception has changed quite a bit now. Of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, fair point, for sure. So there is the, the, the point of the fan base and how they're going to react. And you guys brought that up. And it's interesting, but at the same time, I don't feel like it matters if it's good. To the fans. Uh, in general. Because I think the fans are saying, we just want to see what he wanted us to see. And then there's people who, like you guys, who don't care anyway. So what would even be the value of having the argument of whether it was good or not? I, that's the thing, though, is I think a lot of people, they just want to argue. So I think it's I, – I agree with you that I don't think it matters. But I think I the reason I feel that way is different. Because I feel like it being good is immaterial to – because, right, like, to your point, if you don't care, you don't care. If you genuinely are just, like, curious, morbidly curious, maybe we could say, um, you just want to see it, whether it's good or bad, so you can have the knowledge, right? If you're someone who is, you know, one of those, like, toxic people that we talked about who's, like – you know, wrapped up in this like identity war that exists around these movies and this, you know, this stuff in particular, I think, um, if you like it, uh, you will use it to validate your opinion, right? Well, if you genuinely like it, then right, that's fueling your canon anytime someone says that it sucked and you can rant about how it was ruined by Joss Whedon and he's an SJW and blah, whatever, right? Like, you're going to spew your vitriol no matter what you're going to do. And if you're that same person and it sucks, I bet a lot of people will do mental gymnastics and say, well, it sucks because, you know, Gal Gadot wouldn't come back and they couldn't do reshoots. Or they didn't give him enough money and that's why. And if he had gotten to do it, five years ago or whatever, the right way then, it would have been good. You know, Dude. or if it had been a two-parter, it would have been good. And Dude. they'll make new reasons to say why so-and-so is the reason it's a problem and you're still a fucking idiot. Dude, they already say bad movies are good. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it truly well, that, does that's not very rude, because I like those movies. Uh -huh. right? So, uh -oh. like, but that, and that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to point out, is that you guys take this, um, like superiority because you don't like it, there's something to feel superior about. But like, if Justice League is still bad, uh, like to you, right? That doesn't mean that it is bad to everyone. And it also doesn't mean that it couldn't have been good if X. Yeah, that's fair. So what about the people who, because they like it, feel superior to us because we don't. Well, everybody who feels superior to anybody is a douchebag. And that's what I'm saying. Mm. Like there's there's no there is no room for that superiority. This is all art, it's all entertainment, and there's no reason to feel better than anyone else because of what you like or don't. That's ridiculous. And I think that the this movie 
presents us with an opportunity to have a genuine conversation about the way that we approach this stuff. You know, like the vitriol on both sides is just odd. And it's always odd. Like anytime one of these movies comes out, it just gets so crazy. And I hope, I know this won't happen, but I would hope that we could settle ourselves and say, okay, it's finally coming out now. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And I'm not going to be a toxic douchebag anymore. But you know the thing about those people? It's not about the Snyder Cut. It's about them. You know, it's about them. They're going to move on to the next movie to be an ass about or the next television show or whatever, because they're just that. And I don't feel like there's a reason to put much stock into that because those people are goofy. But the people in the middle ground who can have reasonable conversations, I feel like we should use this as an opportunity. I can't wait to rub it in all of your faces when this movie is snubbed an Oscar, frankly. (laughs) Wait, what? You want to rub it in our faces when it's snubbed of an Oscar? (laughs) Yeah. Because it would have been good enough. What? And you're wrong. Okay. I'm lost. Yeah, I think that plot thread uh, went several different directions there, but that's okay. It's a problem arguing with you Snyder Cut people. (laughs) Yeah. You're all just douchebags. You think you're all superior. Um... Well, you could be like me, where you don't you don't think about it, and you just live comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> you could be like me, you don't think about it. You live uncomfortably. You're barely living. <laughs> <laughs> barely living. I wouldn't call what I do living. Damn. All right. So, since this is probably the last time we're going to talk about this for a while, hopefully. Thank uh, God. Do you guys think... That it would have been better, ultimately, to not impede Zack Snyder's vision. Not for the two movies. I could see why you might not want to do that. But to let the one movie be whatever he felt like it should have been. A thousand percent, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's undeniable, almost. Get, Get his version made, what, three years ago at this point? And then we're not talking about it anymore. That sounds fine to me. <laughs> well, I, I I just think in general too, it's just it's not a. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, like I think being like in the middle, and the same thing that they did with Suicide Squad, right? Where like you're making a movie by committee. So I think if you have if you come out of BVS and you think that you don't have faith in Zack Snyder anymore, then pull him off the project and put someone else on it. Don't be like, well, we, we're already halfway through shooting the movie, like, or 75% of the way through shooting the movie. Let's bring in someone else and have them try to cobble it together and make, you know, this Frankenstein camel of a film. Uh, it's just, that was never going to be good. Like, it's, it's two directors with dissonant styles and visions and trying to, you know, make some fucking unholy chimera. Yeah. I, I I guess to be fair to everyone, his daughter's death probably um, created a scenario where they were forced to not have him on the project. I guess I meant like before shooting type thing. I think 
I think I think yeah, his daughter's death is sort of where I land. Had that not happened, you know, I think it sort of depends on where people were before that. Yeah. You know, because at that point he he left because he wanted to, right? Because of that. It's actually never been clear what mm. really happened there because we know that they didn't want his vision even during filming that weren't happy. He was forced to, you know, truncate a lot of stuff. Jeff Johns was the one who had the idea of bringing uh, Joss Whedon on to replace Zach after he left the project. But we don't know at that point whether he left because he wanted to leave due to his daughter or Warner forced him off the project. I will say it's pretty unprecedented to just fire a director in the middle of like shooting. I think that happened uh, that happened with Lord and Miller right on uh, Solo. It did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it Those did. are the only two examples I can personally think of. It definitely happened before. Yeah. Like, um, it, I think you're all at least probably casually familiar with the the Super Mario Brothers movie. I think that went through three directors, and we saw how right. that turned out. Ooh. Oh my god! <laughs> Superman two had Richard Donner. He was replaced by uh, Richard Lester. We did get the Donner cut. That's right, and that, that was did uh, happen. that was a pretty good movie, actually. The Donner cut. Hey, there you go. Hashtag release the Donner cut, right? Like, uh, then there was um, uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau had uh, the guy who just did Purple from Outer Space, Color from Outer Space. That guy, uh, and he was replaced by John Frankenheimer. Um, so it does it does happen. Huh. I would say it's that fairly that rare. Would you yeah. Would you agree to that? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So I think more to what Pete was saying. Uh, if if you didn't want him, you probably should have just not had him direct the movie from the start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot to that. Yeah. The movie started shooting like right after Batman v Superman came out, which was probably also silly. Um, but yeah, the Snyder Cut is coming. We, the Comics Pals, are uh, varying degrees of excited, i.e. for people who don't care and one who does. Um <laughs> Marco put his hand up like, yes, I am that one person. <laughs> I expect a lot of conversation to follow, and hopefully you guys choose to have some of that over here with us. Uh, there are plenty of ways that you can reach out. Twitter, Instagram, social media, at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can, uh, if you're on YouTube, you can leave us a comment there as well. While you're doing that, you can share the video with your friends, subscribe to our channel, like it, and uh, hit the notification bell so you're made aware when we drop new content. And of course, you can join us on Discord to carry over the conversation. However, I do want to say, because we are talking about something that is charged, if you're going to talk to us or anybody who's in our community, uh, keep it cool. Yeah? Or we'll drop the fucking ban hammer. <laughs> <laughs> no trolling. Yeah, well, keep it cool, keep it respectful. You can troll, but it's got to be good natured. Like, no, like, just don't be an asshole. Marco's a straight troll. So is Phil. It's fine. No, I'm a nice boy. Mm. I'm a gay troll. All right. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I that was. I don't know about that. Uh, all right. Look, I'm not proud of it. Can we end the show? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Texas over here. All right. 
<laughs> oh, Tell me about how you need the, a haircut, why don't you? That's the best. I do. Okay, I do need a haircut. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. I love when Kale shows himself. Um, shows his Kevin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just uh, on the book club front, before we get into the individual plugs, I do want to let you guys know we've got some pretty good stuff out there. The Uncanny X-Force book club is out. Um, what else? What else have we done? Daredevil, Born Again. Is that out yet? I think that just it drops dropped. tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, it drops. It drops tomorrow. It drops tomorrow. Perfect. There you go. Uh, go listen to that. That was awesome. It was actually my first time reading that book, and I had a blast. And uh, I think we had a really good conversation. So give that a listen. Yes, sir. And then next one after that's Killer Be Killed, right? Yes. Right. Yes, so it is. So if you haven't Killer read that, killed. read that right now. Catch up for Get reading. that drop. Yeah. It's 20 issues, so it's not too long, but, you know, get started on it. Go read it. Come chat with us. Pete, plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what like what are you watching? What are you playing? What are you reading? Give me some suggestions. Um, I've been getting some good ones. And, uh, yeah, I've been checking out a lot of new stuff right now um, while we're in kind of a lull. So if there's anything in the last couple of years that really has caught your attention that you think I might have missed, let me know. I'd love to hear your, uh, your recs. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can check out my stuff over at lupots.com, where I host our weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, uh, as well as the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. And then I've been streaming Animal Crossing on Thursdays over on twitch.tv slash lootpots. So uh, if any of that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll go uh, show your support over there as well. Awesome. Kale. You can find me and my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com, where all of my comics are up and free. Um, click the link and you can, I don't know, you can have them. Um, sell them. I don't care. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at totointo. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I, I post a lot of pictures of my dog. That's all I care about right oh, now. Oh, yeah. That's a good dog. Marco? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Come talk to me about Gundam. I'm still on that train. Nice. Fuck yeah. And uh, I have a thread on Twitter where I'm sort of giving away books. So go find that. Please take these off my hand. Uh, all I need from you is shipping. That's it. So go check that out. There's a bunch of uh, single issues collected. And I'm going to be doing a separate post with uh, just a bunch of trades um, or just like collected editions and, and things like that. So yeah. Tweet One of those him. is Killer Be Killed, right? Coming up? Well, yeah, that's going to be part of the giveaway. Uh, well, that's going to be part of a giveaway. Um, that's going to tie into the book club announcement. So we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. You can win uh, the whole run. And, and tweet at him about how dope his man bun looks. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of them, but I don't hate it. It's pretty good. I'm not into it. I don't need. I don't need the the yeah. the Marco get, cut. I don't need to it. see more of it. <laughs> hey, I would prefer a Marco cut. Marco, get that cut. <laughs> yeah, that go Marco's go get cut that out cut of here. <laughs> <laughs> Just take a scissor to the top. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to rejoice uh, respectfully about the Snyder cut and why it's still probably not going to be very good. <laughs> hashtag believe the Snyder Cut oh yeah with that we're the Comics Files signing off take care guys see you next week 
if we keep talking about the Snyder Cut, we can probably get Kale to say some other bad shit. Crazy shit, too. Did you guys know 5G causes coronavirus?